Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Let's find our Bibles, Acts 19. Let's stand to our feet. Children in fourth grade and below, you're dismissed and ready for Children's Church with my wife this morning. And you're going to learn all sorts of wonderful truths from the Word of God. Acts chapter 19. Let's find our Bibles there in verse number 21. And uh, we are going to finish out this chapter today with the Lord's help. And we are excited about what the Lord is going to teach us this morning. Let's read and this passage of Scripture all the way to the end and follow along. Let's give attention to the Word of God and just remember that it is the Word of God that will change our hearts. The Bible says here in Acts 19 and verse number 21, After these things, what things? So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. So the God's Word is making advances there in Ephesus. After these things were ended... Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. So that's the area of Ephesus and so on. And at the same time, there arose, and I want you to notice these words, no small stir about that way. That is Luke's way of, Luke was a, a master at writing with understatements. Just, there's no small stir. In other words, there was a big deal that just happened in, inside of Ephesus. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. He was a leader of the, this economy or this business there, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but also throughout all Asia, this Paul, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods, which are made with hands. So that our, our, not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried on saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And have, having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered into, uh, in unto the people, the disciples, the believers there, the called out assembly, suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, 
sent unto him, desiring him, Paul, that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some, therefore, cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. And the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. They're in that theater. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and would have made his defense unto the people, his defense of the Jewish people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of the Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men, that's uh, Aristarchus and, and, uh, and the other guy, Gaius. <laughs> I lost my place. Okay, the other guy. Uh, what's his name? Okay, so anyway, um, so you shouldn't do anything rashly, for you brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches nor blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies. Let them implead one another. But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly, for we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly, and notice assembly. Let's pray, and let's ask God's blessing. Father, thank you for this opportunity to read your word, uh, this is a wonderful passage that you've given us that, that helps us understand how your church, your word, advanced in, in that very pagan society and gives us courage for today. So I pray that you open our hearts, open up the children's hearts as they receive the word this morning, and would we all grow in you, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, and would we all be equipped for the ministry, would we all be thoroughly furnished unto all good works as a result of being in your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's be seated. Thank you for standing. So this is during Paul's third missionary journey, right? He is on his third and, and final missionary journey, the one um, before going to Rome. And uh, he was serving in this commercial seaport town of Ephesus. He had promised on his second missionary journey, when he just made a very brief pit stop there, that he would, uh, that he would come back. And so he has come back to Ephesus, and he is, he is giving, uh, just giving his attention to the ministry there, giving his, uh, his heart there. He's been there for some time, preaching, communicating the word. That's what all of Acts chapter 19 is about. And as he preached the word, really there is a great demonstration of the power of the word of God and how that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and that God's word does not return void. So whether it was to the Jews or to the Gentiles, the word of God was very effective there in Ephesus. So effective, and I want you to catch this, so effective that even the economy was impacted. 
Even the economy of Ephesus was impacted by the the change that the word of God was bringing to the city. How so? Well, the believers, the new believers, both Jew and Gentile, that have been saved, they made such a determined choice to follow after Jesus Christ and to be committed followers of Christ, to be his disciples, that their lifestyles began to change. They, they made determined choices, specific choices, to take their old lifestyle, and as we learned the last time we were together, they brought their curious arts, their witchcraft, their magic arts, their, their music CDs, their rap CDs, their rock and roll, and all that stuff, and they threw it in a, a, a big bonfire. They took their pornography and all those things, and need I continue, they took all that stuff, and they threw it in a bonfire, and they said, we're making a clean break with this, and the Bible says in chapter number, uh, chapter 19, in verse number 20, that the word of God grew, it expanded, and it prevailed. And anytime God's people get serious about following after God, it's amazing how the word of God has free concourse. It just has free ability to go forward. And so that's what was going on here. And so the demonstration of God coming into lives and radically changing lives. And you can just imagine these lives that had been changed. They're no longer uh, playing with their tarot cards in the, in the uh, at lunch break during their, their, um, their, their day at work there in Ephesus. They're no longer reading these magic books and casting spells. They're no longer engaging in those things and their coworkers are saying, hey, what happened, to, what happened to that guy? Something is different about him. And so the word of God is being realized that it is more powerful than all that they had learned from their upbringing about Diana and about the god, uh, goddess uh, Artemis and about all that they had learned inside the, the temple to Artemis there. And, and so they're learning. It's very, very powerful. And so what's happening now, these new believers are no longer going to the idol shops and they're uh, no longer buying idols. They're no longer setting them up in their home. They're now worshiping Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And because of that, the economy is being um, a touch and being affected in a very powerful way. And what I want us to really catch this morning as a summary to this passage of Scripture that we have read, I want us to catch this, that Christ's words change cultures. Christ's words change cultures. Now, I realize that we are a bit detached from that. Even as I say that, I do not believe that we here, as we sit in the auditorium of the the gathering place of Grace Baptist Church, that we really understand what I've just said. Because I do not believe that we have seen that in our lifetime here in America. We, We live in a country that was shaped by the word of God. And, and, and it was ultimately Christ's words that did change us at the outset, but we have come so far, and we've come so far away from understanding the very power of the word of God to change a culture, and I think we have settled for something far, far less. But I, I want to remind us this morning as we go through this passage of Scripture that God put it in there for us to see that the, the, the word comes into a pagan culture which we live in a pagan heathen culture. And it changes lives. And that we should expect that to happen. And I think we have, we have settled as, as American Christians and yes, as members of Grace Baptist Church that that happens in other places and that happened in Bible times, but we can't see that anymore. We need to believe God again and that God's word, the word that you held up a moment ago is powerful, it is quick and powerful and does change lives. And it starts by allowing it to change my life. And friends, you cannot expect, if you're still holding on to your curious arts and your old lifestyle, if you're still holding on to the trappings of the sin nature, the things that God says to be putting off, you cannot expect that same word that is not being allowed to change your life to change someone else's life. 
You can't. And as you're resisting God about change that needs to happen in your life, maybe big change that needs to happen, maybe it's heart change that needs to happen, maybe it's something that really needs to be ushered out of your home and put on the curb or put in a bonfire in the backyard. Listen, if you're not willing to make that change, do not expect that that same word is going to change your neighbor's heart. You're praying, well, I pray, God, that you would save my neighbor. Well, if the word of God is not being effective in your heart, how can, you, uh, uh, how can God use you as a channel to be, uh, for his word to powerfully affect someone else's life? Are you all with me? So we're talking now, we're going from how it changed in the previous message, how it changed the believers' lives, the new believers' lives there, but what happens now, the result of that is it brought a cultural change to the city. It brought a, a, a revival to the city. And the revival isn't always positive. Sometimes revival is chaos and it's it's people not being really happy about what's going on and so there's this awakening there's this awareness in the ephesus that god is real greater than diana and there's some gods that need to be demoted in our city today and there's some uh, and there is one god that needs to be promoted and his name is jesus christ but there's a God of sports, of entertainment, of pornography, of, of sexual immorality, of, of, of identity, who I am in our own self-esteem. There are many gods across our city that need to be demoted, and Jesus Christ needs to be promoted and more powerful, uh, more powerful than all of that. And it has to start with your heart being submitted to the powerful word of God. It has to be, this word is, not has changed, but is changing my heart right now. When was the last time, when in your minds, in your memory, when was the last time that you can remember that the word of God made a specific adjustment in your heart? You made a decision, an I will statement, a decision, I am going to change because of what I just saw in the word of God. Was it in this past week? Was it in the past month? Past year? Has it been five years? Has it been 10 years? Was it back to the day of your salvation? Is, can you say with certainty, God's word is changing my heart. It is changing my life. That's a big deal. Because what we want to see, we all pray for, oh Lord, bring America back to you. It doesn't start until God's people have gotten right. And God's people are being real with the word of God. And, and, and the world begins to see, whoa, it changed their lives. It can change my life too. I want what they have. This is really, really important. We can't have the cultural change until we have Christians being changed by the word of God. This is so very important. So I, I almost want to just stop and preach a, a, another message on that. But uh, can you help me out with, do you agree with what I'm saying here? Like this is really important. We can't have verses 21 through 41 until we really get back to having verses 19 and, and verse 18 and verse number, uh, verse number 20 happening in our personal lives. So there may be some things you really need to get squared up with God today. And I encourage you to go all the way with God. Notice in verse number 21, as this is happening, we can believe it can happen in our day. It happened then. We're not in a different time. We don't serve a different God and we don't have a different word. <laughs> we have the same word of God. Praise God. For that. So we, we can believe it for this time, but notice in verse number 21 how that Paul demonstrated a continuing commitment to the ministry of the word. So he says here, he makes plans, after these things were ended, 
Paul purposed in his spirit. Sometimes we get in our minds, well, God worked on that day or on that, that week, and so now we can just sit back and relax. No, Paul purposed in his spirit how he's going to continue to go forward and remain committed to the calling that God had given him. So he purposed in his spirit that when he had passed through Macedonia, Ki, went to Jerusalem, that he would also go to Rome. So he's, he's laying out a future plan here. He's laying out his, his itinerary. He's putting it on the calendar. How many of you understand that we make plans, but God, God can adjust the plans, right? And so God did that in his life, but he's laying out on his calendar what gets scheduled gets done, and so he's laying out on his calendar, if you will, uh, the, what he is going to be doing. He's purposing in his heart. He's setting in his mind. He is, he's making a choice here, and he's laying out this itinerary, and you can notice uh, this itinerary would bring him up to Macedonia, down into Achaia, over by Corinth again, and back over down to Jerusalem, and then he wanted to go up into Rome in, in time. And so this would, be, this would be what he would be doing uh, in the future. And he had a couple of guys that had been traveling with him and helping him out, and he sends them ahead as, as front men, the, this Timothy and a, 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 a Rast, uh, Rastus, and they were going to be front guys. They were going to kind of prepare the way up in Macedonia and take care of details. And I do marvel at the fact that we all can have a place to serve in the, in the work of God, and whether we're serving a servant of God or um, we're all serving Jesus. And it's just amazing, these little details that are in the Word of God for us. But these two men, later on, Timothy would be a pastor, but for right now, he is just simply carrying out the needs of the Apostle Paul. And he's going ahead up into the area of, of Macedonia. But this was Paul's plan. Now, the focus of Paul's commitment was, uh, was this. He's going to go back up into Macedonia, down into Corinth, down over to Jerusalem, for a purpose. There were churches that had been planted there, that had been established. There were believers there that were pretty new to the faith, and he was going to go back through and confirm them, help them out, encourage them, show up, ask them how they're doing, make sure that pastors were in place, and so on. So he's going back, and really we could summarize it as the work of discipleship. He was going to go back and edify the churches, and Timothy and uh, Erastus were going to prepare the way. First uh, Corinthians, which was written on during this time, he wrote to the Corinthians, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that there be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And he was addressing this issue because when Apollos went over there, some were led to the Lord by Apollos and really liked the way that he speak, and some were led to the Lord by Paul and really liked the way that he interacted with them. And so now we have a division. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Jesus Christ. Okay. And so we have this division that's going on there in the church. Corinth. So he's writing over there and saying, listen, this isn't right. You guys are divided. You're allowing some sin to go on inside of the church. You're, you're, you're just, you're turning a blind eye. Uh, and, and in chapter number five, we find that there was a man that was having uh, improper relationships with his mother-in-law. And there was just some really uh, 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 bad sin going on inside the church and the church wasn't dealing with. And so Paul writes over to them and encourages them, but he's going to go to them in person. In fact, in chapter four and verse 18, now some are puffed up. That's Paul's way of uh, some of you just got a puffed up head or a big head on your shoulders, right? Some are puffed up as though I would not come unto you. Paul's not coming back over here. We can do what we want, all right? So kind of that ad attitude, we'll, we'll do it our way. And, and so uh, it goes on in verse 19, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power I'm going to come and I'm going to declare the word of God and we're going to do what Jesus tells us to do. 
And so he's going to go back over there and disciple, continue to disciple. So Macedonia, Achaia, and down to Jerusalem, he's going to disciple. But that wasn't all that was on Paul's heart. By the way, true disciples of Christ win souls. Do you remember what Jesus said? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Paul had seen a church established over there. The disciples over there were responsible to carry out the great commission in their region and in their community. And so Paul's focus was going over there, encouraging those disciples, but he was going to go further. He wanted to advance the gospel somewhere else. And I want us to think about this. When he went to Rome, his heart was, I want to preach the gospel up there. How do we know that? He says that in Romans 1 and verse number 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so I'm going to go up there and I'm going to preach the gospel. And so his heart was evangelism. So this commitment that Paul had was, I'm going to disciple and I'm going to continue to preach the gospel, plant churches, and I want to do it right in the seat of government. I want to go to Washington, D.C., and I want to see a church planted there is the idea. I, I want to go to Rome and to Caesar's household, and I want to preach the gospel there. And so Paul was committed to the ministry of the word, the ministry of the gospel. And as it worked there in Ephesus, he wanted to see it continue to work in the disciples' lives throughout all the different regions, but yes, again, in Rome. And so this was on his heart to go. He's remaining committed. Are you remaining committed to the ministry of the word? You say, I'm not a preacher. You are. You are. Some of you have not accepted that yet. You are a preacher. Go ye into all the world and what? Preach. You might not stand behind a pulpit like this, but sitting down at the lunch table at work, you are to communicate the gospel. Are you committed to this thing? Well, I want to see God change our nation. You don't really have any teeth to that desire, any foundation to that desire, any reality to that desire, if you are not personally preaching the gospel, which is only the only thing that's going to change our nation. It's the only thing. Well, they, they, won't, they won't receive it. That is not your problem. Your problem, your duty, is to communicate with your mouth the Word of God. Every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, we come together. What is that? Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, right? You have, your pastor gives you outlines with verses on Sunday morning and Sunday night. You have two messages that you get in print form every single week of the year with verses and details. You can't say, I don't know what to say. You are being equipped. You are being equipped. And someone just say amen or something. Like, you are being equipped. And it is your responsibility before God to take that equipping and go do something with it. This world needs your, your voice. Are you committed to the word? Are you committed to it? Do you believe that Jesus can change your co-worker and change the culture at work? I don't like the, on the culture at work. Bring them to Jesus Christ. 
And the culture of your workplace will change. People will stop thieving. People will stop being lazy on the job. Are you committed? Paul was committed to the ministry of the word. Are you committed? Well, that's for someone else. I sure hope someone listens to that message. Are you committed to the ministry of the word? So Paul's making these plans, these preparations, but as he's making these, just like I said, God has a way of adjusting things. Things got exciting in Ephesus. And did you notice there, verse number 23, and there was no small stir. And I want us to notice a cultural change that was, was coming to light there in Ephesus. And sometimes you don't realize all that God is doing in a community until, uh, until it disrupts, until things happen, until some, someone gets a little bit upset about what's going on and so on. So there's no small stir there. God had impacted the lives of the believers, and so now it is impacting and transforming the culture. And so we read through there how this man, Demetrius, he was sort of maybe um, a union head, if you want to put it maybe in today's terms. He, he gets all the guys together and says, hey, hey, listen, all you idol makers of the idol makers guild, uh, we have a little bit of a problem here. I've been looking at the books, and uh, things aren't looking so great. And, and we're going to lay all the blame at these, uh, at these followers of Jesus Christ. And we're going to lay all this blame at this man. Did you notice there uh, in verse number 26, this Paul. This Paul. I can just sense the the disdain dripping off those words. This Paul, uh, who has persuaded and turned away much people, they, he has done this. And so there's a stir that's happening that happens probably in a, in a back room in a meeting place somewhere as they're, they're having this conversation. And he's sharing the, the bottom line is really being affected. And it's not only our bottom line, but uh, uh, the, the other things are happening in our, in our city. Now, you no, notice here he says uh, this Paul has persuaded, he's convinced people. And something that Demetrius didn't understand it is the Holy Spirit that promises to reprove or to convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so Paul was just simply resting upon the Holy Spirit's ability to do this. But he says he's also turned them away. Uh, the idea is to change beliefs, to transfer, to change someone's beliefs. Uh, it, it's the idea of moving someone from one place to another. And what's really fascinating about this, this is the perspective of Demetrius about what is happening in their community via the ministry and the life change that's going on in the, in the believers. And it's the only time this specific word is found in the New Testament, and it comes from the perspective or from the testimony of a lost man. Now, I don't know if that thrills your heart, but it really thrills my heart when the lost world begins to realize that something is changing people from what they used to be to something else that's a really good thing. And so Demetrius is saying he's, he's bothered, he's hot under the collar, he's upset about this, and he's declaring, hmm, this Paul has changed people with his preaching. And he's moved them from where they, they were and how they grew up to something else, to believing something else. He, he's changed them. And he didn't understand that that's really the, the work of the, the Holy Spirit of God. But when the lost man begins to realize something is changing people, and that's very powerful, that's a good thing happening in a community. We need to pray for that. And again, I just underscore that can only happen if the Word of God is changing your life personally. The cultural impact there in Ephesus was that 
the idol business was being bankrupted. It's going to be said at naught. What's Demetrius saying? Uh, well, it's losing value. It's losing value. Would to God that some businesses would lose value in our day. Oh, that's so harsh to say. Would to God that some of the godless businesses would lose value today. Would to God that the porn industry would lose business. But when you start realizing that statistics say that 70% of men in churches are viewing pornography, if God's people would get right with God, and as I say that, there's a, a knife going through some of you men's hearts and saying, I've tried and I've tried to get over it. And friends, you will not get over it on your own. You need accountability. And you need to be real and transparent and, and even come to, uh, come to me, come to another godly, ungodly man and say, I need accountability. And put a self, the self-pride, say, I need accountability. But there are churches like this that are, that through members, and it's not just a, a men's issue, Fortunately, it's very high for women, too. But there are churches, called-out assemblies, God's people that are still funding it. This is nothing more than curious arts. We can't get mad at the, the libraries for having pornography in them when, when it is still something happening inside the church house. That's a problem. Friends, the Bible is so relevant to us today what happened in Ephesus was, was nothing more than God's people doing the right thing by God and, and cultural change happened. So we want to see the pornography institu- uh, and, and industry come down? Well, we need to make laws that will limit them. No, we need to stop allowing it on our devices and we need to put, we need to put filters on the devices and we need to get accountable and get real about this, um, this sin that is behind closed doors inside of churches just like ours. It's a big deal. There are other industries, the entertainment industry. You think about how much junk and filth gets put on screens, and yet we still fund it by allowing our cable, uh, 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 allowing it in um, via cable and allowing these different things in. And it's not even always cable anymore. It's all these streaming channels and so on. Friends, I'm not saying that every TV show is bad and you can never watch anything and have, have a, an enjoyable time, but there's a whole lot of junk that gets played in our homes that Jesus would not be good with. And yet we fund it. And when God's people get right with him and stop funding it, it dies. And this is where we are in America. We're in a really bad place in America, not because the heathen are bad, but because God's people haven't allowed God's word to change their hearts. And so now the idol business is no longer making money because God's people stopped buying the idols. What happened if God's people stopped putting sports over God? You know how many times I hear over and over and over again, people get saved and they start following God, and then Wednesday night sports. And it doesn't stop at Wednesday night sports. It's Sunday afternoon sports, and pretty soon it's rushing in from sports on Sunday afternoon to get to a Sunday evening service, and pretty soon we're too tired to get to the Sunday evening service, and then we start eating away at the times of assembly. And, and do you realize what has happened in our society? Sports is a god and there's temples all over our nations, and there are arenas, there's arenas in our cities, and where God's people go and worship these things in place of worshiping God, and it's wrong. It's wrong. And we continue to fund it. We continue to fund it. Well, it's just one service I missed. 
Listen, if this is the body of Christ, you've literally said no to Jesus Christ's body and attended something else. Well, I need family time. You've literally idolized your family time over the body of Christ. You've made your family an idol. Bring your family here. Have family time here. You know what most family time is? Sitting down in front of a TV. Allowing entertainment to be the God. This is wrong. And we'll never see what happened, the cultural change that happened in Ephesus until we're willing to get right with God as individuals and stop funding it with our participation, with our time, and with our money, and we could go on further and further. Disney is gone extremely not awakened, they've gone to sleep. And it's not necessary for God's people to fund that. Are there some good old, old Disney things that we can watch and that, that don't violate our consciousness and so forth? I'm not, I, I'm not saying there are not. What I am saying is right now, Disney does not stand for our values. It does not stand for the word of God. And if God's people stand up and say, nope, not in our home. I don't need that subscription. I don't need it anymore. Bankrupting the idol business. What about this? These guys, Demetrius saying, it's not just bankrupting our idol business. Our bottom line isn't just being affected. Our worship and our way of life over at the temple of Artemis and Diana? Have you seen? There aren't people showing up like they used to show up. The, the worshipers aren't coming like they used to. And, and literally the word that Demetrius uses is that they're destroying the worship of Diana. They're literally unseating, they're literally unseating the worship of Diana. Now think about that. So this is the religious institution, and, and just get a picture of that, of that day. The, the Temple of Artemis as it, as it, it is, is so magnificent, one of the seven wonders of the world. It's a huge, huge, it would dwarf this auditorium. Uh, 60 feet in the air, uh, I believe it's 127 columns, 60 feet tall, 420 feet uh, long by 220 feet wide. This huge, huge temple that, that was there in the middle of Ephesus filled the skyline and, and, and worshipers who went there, it was known throughout all of Asia, this is where the Ephesians go to worship and Demetrius saying, it's being unseated, it's being destroyed. Our very way of religious practice and tradition is being unseated. So this not affected the economy, this affected the worship in the city. That's amazing. It was all the word of God. It wasn't Paul. It was the word of God. Just again underscore the fact that this is Demetrius, an unsaved man, giving this account. I remember years ago, ABC 20, uh, or 2020, the show 2020, did a, a report on on. Uh, Baptists of our kind, and they said they literally believe in the literal interpretation of the Bible. And I was like, yes, we do. Yes, praise the Lord. And we do. Now, are there, are there some Baptists that mess it up? Help me out here. Yeah, I mean, uh, protesting at funerals and uh, going to um, pride, um, parades and saying that God hates you is, is not of God, all right? Uh, can we just be clear that that is they're drinking something and it, 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 it isn't right what they're doing they're, this this is not this is not what God wants us to do he doesn't tell us to do that so there are some that mess it up but uh, when you come down to um, pegging me as one who interprets the word of God literally yes sir I do praise the Lord and that's the lost world saying that and I I wear that with honor 
Praise the Lord. One of the things that we have to push back against is that American Christianity is not necessarily equivalent to biblical Christianity. And we have adopted a philosophy in our land that you can keep your idols and have Jesus too. And there will never be a change in our country until God's people, until judgment begins in the house of God, until God's people realize I can not serve my idols and Jesus Christ too. There's a pop preacher, very popular today. He made this tweet. He says, God is not in a hurry to fix us. Our behavior is not his first priority. We are his first priority. Loving us, knowing us, affirming us, and protecting us. That is his top goal and main concern. Come to Jesus as you are, stay as you are. God just cares that you're coming to, coming to a, you know, one of our large light shows and music shows uh, where we throw in a little bit about God and God's just concerned about affirming you. That is a lie. If you're my disciples, if you continue in my word, what is continuing? One step in front of another. What's taking steps? Action, doing, obeying, doing. Um, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And to say that God is not concerned about your behavior is a straight-up lie. It's unbiblical, but it's being peddled in churches all across our country. These are false teachers. These ought not be listened to. But yet it has shaped our American mindset. God's word is intended to change our lives, our hearts, and our behavior. Yes, it comes from the inside out. <laughs> but it is to change our hearts and, and our behavior. It changed the Ephesians' hearts and their behavior. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to, unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sin and the inheritance uh, among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me, Jesus. His heart is to turn us from darkness to light. Praise the Lord for that. Well, we were over at the Worldview Conference. We heard a story that I hope to bring to you in full during our mission weeks a little bit later on. But uh, it, is, it is of the Duna people. The Duna people are in Papua New Guinea. They, uh, they were a people that were completely out of touch with the rest of the world. No one knew their language. They did not have a, a, a written language. They did not have an alphabet so they were very detached from the rest of the world. They had their own way of living. Uh, a man by the name of Dennis Cochran and his wife uh, were burdened about unreached people groups, and so they went to this people group and set up house among them. These were, uh, you, you hear about kind of the, uh, you know, maybe the term, maybe you have, have a uh, hot and top with a, a bone through the nose type of, uh, type of individuals, just very tribe uh, it was a tribe and, and, and very much like that. Uh, walked about with not much clothing. Uh, they, they, they were a tribe that was completely unreached. They had no light of the gospel, no light of the word of God. This tribe was 22,000 people at that point. This has um, been years, years back. And uh, through diligent ministry of the word, Brother, um, Brother Cochran saw many come to know Jesus Christ as their, as their savior. 
uh, change took time, and they realized they're going to have to do a Bible translation for them. So they began to translate the Bible, and they started in Genesis because so much of the groundwork of what we know about God and ourselves and what God expects of us is found in the in the chapters of Genesis. So they're translating along, and uh, one thing that was interesting about this tribe was that the men and women, uh, as married couples, they did not live together. Uh, the, the tribe felt that women had a spirit within them. The men felt that women had a spirit within them that could kill a man. Could, you know, and so the men were afraid to live with their, <laughs> live with their wife. I, I chuckled too. So I, anyway, uh, so they did not live in the same houses. Men would have up to three wives. Wealthy men would have up to three wives, but they would never live. So seeing Dennis Cochran and his wife live together was kind of an interesting thing, but it wasn't until they got to Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 24 where it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And until they, they read that and they're like, whoa. And they stopped, and they got speechless, and they began to talk to uh, Mr. Cochran about, about this. So our creator, the one who sacrificed his very son for us, they understood that from the, the preaching of the gospel, uh, he wants us to live together. And so they, they, they asked questions, but they left, and uh, everything in the tribe, they, they make decisions together. So they went to the gray beards, the older men of the, of the tribe, shared it with them, and they pondered it for like six, six months and just kind of rested on this, on this thing, because this was a huge cultural change that was going to have to come to their tribe. And so as they pondered it, uh, they came up with this idea that they would run a test. And they were going to build a, 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 a hut, a house, that would have doorways on either end, and they would have uh, all their huts or their houses were, uh, were one room and would have one door, as I understand it, but they would build it with uh, a doorway on either end and would have a, a middle wall partition so the man would be on one side and the woman would be on the other side. And so they ran this test for three months, and the man still was alive. And so they, they uh, all came together. He's observing all this. He's not, he's not pushing any of it. He's observing all this happening in the tribe. And so they, they came together, and they tore down that middle wall. And the man, they, they watched for a little bit longer, and the man was still alive. And so they came up with this, this summary, this doctrinal summary, that, that if you have the spirit of God within you, God's son within you, that it's more powerful than the spirit of a woman. And, and, and that you can't, you can't be killed. Now, you're going to have to wait and hear this story. He tells a much better story than, uh, than I can on this. But it, it's fascinating. So here, from that point on, the Christians began living together with their spouses. What is that? Cultural change. How does that happen? From one verse of Scripture, the power of the Word of God, and it still happens in our day. It was said, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save the rest. There's so much more inside that story. It's a fantastic story of God's, uh, of God's power and His Word. Oh, I should say this. I, I looked it up on Joshua Project. That tribe today is 26,000, and they are categorized as a reached tribe, with 99% of them being believers in Jesus Christ. The power of the word of God. And that can happen today. And there's tribes that we need to reach. I don't know who it specifically is, but there might be someone in this room that needs to be a Dennis Cochran and go to one of these tribes and, and be a part of uh, affecting change in their lives with the power of the word of God. It was said of Dr. John Getty, who, uh, who went uh, in 1848, and he worked in an atrium for 20, uh, 24 years. It was uh, an island that is uh, in the general area of Papua New Guinea, and uh, it, there's a tablet that's erected to his honor there on that, on that island. And it, and it goes like this. When, uh, when he, John, landed in 1848, there were no Christians. 
And when he left in 1872, there were no heathen. The power of the word of God, cultural change that comes. Now what happens, we, uh, we hasten on to see that there was a confusion that developed within the city. There was citywide confusion. The whole city, in verse number 29, was filled with confusion. They grabbed Paul's two co-workers, so we noticed that there were four different co-workers that were there in Ephesus, uh, Timothy, Erastus, now Gaius, and Aristarchus, and so they grab these two men, and they, they, um, they throw them into the theater. Now, the theater was a, a uh, we've seen the picture before, but the theater uh, could hold some 24,000 people, so I just want you to realize, I mean, this is kind of a big party going on in, uh, in Ephesus, and they're not happy, and so they're all gathering in there, and they, um, they gather the, um, uh, Gaius and Aristarchus in there, and they're, they're going to put them to task for what's happening, and they're the representatives of Paul. Really, this uh, vengeance was against Paul, and so they're gathered there, and I want us to notice the church said, Paul, don't go in there. Don't go in there, but I really want us to get this, verse number 31, and the chief, the certain of the chief of Asia. Did you see that? would not allow Paul to go in. I want us just to really catch this for a moment in the midst of all this confusion, this bewilderment, shouting, carrying on, and just a lawlessness going on. Um, the chiefs of the city, the local officials that Paul had made friends with, did you see that in verse number 32? Who were his friends? Who were his friends? I just want to say it is a Wrong thing for churches and for pastors not to engage the community and to make relationships within the community. Do you see what happened here? Paul had some friendships, and they got on the phone and said, hey, Paul, um, you do not want to go in there. These were the city officials that were saying this. These were lost men that were saying this to Paul, ones that he had made friends with. And you talk about uh, just really uh, making fast work there in the city of Ephesus. What a great reminder. We need to be building relationships with those that are in power and those that God has given position even within our city, within our state, and within our, within our country. And so Paul, Paul was being protected from the citizens of Ephesus by the rulers of Ephesus. Talk about another change, cultural change that was going on in that society. So they're, they're all together and they're crying out, they're, they're screaming out, and they're going on and on and on, and they're doing this in confusion, the Bible says. They're just going, they're continuing to do this, uh, this, this shouting in bewilderment for two hours, two hours, saying the same thing. Great is the God of Diana of the Ephesians. Great is the God of Diana of the Ephesians. And they're going over and over this. Sounds like some of the protests that we see in our streets and in, in different places today, especially in light of what we're up against in our time and the different protests that go on shouting out for the God, well, the God of convenience and abortion. Boy, you talk about touching a, a touchy subject. This God, little g, is being touched in our country right now. And they're fearing the loss of it. They're fearing the loss of it. Now, just underscore, I'm not going to stay here long, uh, the Supreme Court saying no to Roe versus Wade does not outlaw Roe versus Wade, does not outlaw abortion. It simply sends it back down to the states where you have a choice to talk to your elected officials and say, we don't stand for the murder of the unborn. All right? So it gets the decision closer to people like you as opposed to leaving it up in Washington. Okay? So uh, that's enough that I'll say about that, but we see the same thing happening, the chanting and going on. 
people have not changed. Culture has not changed. So, why do the heathen rage, the psalmist asked, and desire a vain thing? They hate God, and they hate his truth. So what's interesting here, these people in this theater, they didn't really know what they were against. They didn't really know uh, what they even stood for. It says there in verse number 32, they were saying one thing, and another was saying another thing, and they really didn't even know why they were there. That is depictive of our society. They don't know what they're actually, uh, actually standing for. They just know they don't like the truth. They just know that they don't like the, the change that is happening in, in the culture. You're touching the God of the culture, and so the people are confused. And as you see them as confused people, it's a little bit easier to have the heart of Christ for them and have compassion upon them. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Everyone in that stadium needed Jesus. They needed him to transform their lives. Matthew 9, 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Satan had blinded their eyes. So what happens now? We have this town clerk that sees this mess, and he's going to be called into question by Caesar and by the Roman authorities. So he he says, listen, y'all, listen up. And this town clerk had some authority there. And so he quiets the, the town, and he gives them an address. He gives them an address that was very, very clear. He's the chief executive of the city. He gives his address. He goes, everyone knows that you worship Diana. Everyone knows this. He even says a little bit, maybe pushes back on uh, Paul about, you know, gods aren't those that are made with hands. We know that this one came from Jupiter. We're, we're settled in this, in this matter and believing this. And so he's giving this, this declaration in verses 35 and 36. And he asks them, oh, you ought to be quiet. Why, why are you making all this noise? And why are you acting rashly or recklessly? Why are you acting unlawfully? And then he, he says, listen, Gaius and Aristarchus, they're not robbers. They're not yet blasphemers of your God. They haven't yet blasphemed Diana. They've just, they've said what they've said, but they've not blasphemed him. And At this point, the town clerk, the chief executive of the city, is vindicating not just Paul's companions, but Paul Paul himself. He's innocent. He's not against us. And he said, if Demetrius wants to press charges, let him do it in court. If there's any other issues that you guys need to bring up, do it in a lawful assembly. Don't do it here. This is an unlawful assembly. You're all dismissed, and they leave. Just saying that when we are committed to the word of God and to the ministry of the word, we can rest in the protection of our God. We can rest in the, in the work of our God to even take a unsaved chief executive of a city and say, nope, we're not going that way. And we need to, uh, we need to rest in the fact that God is more powerful than even those that are in authority. And we can do the word of God and the work of God. We can do what he's called us to do without fear, knowing that he will be with us. Acts 18 and verse number 9. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night vision, Be not afraid, but speak. Hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city, that's Corinth, But go on, Isaiah 54 and verse number 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is the heritage. God is with those that do his work. And and friends, if I could just bring it down to this. We want cultural change by the word of God. We must remain committed to the word personally, allowing it to change our lives, and remain committed to the ministry of of the word. One more verse of scripture that I want you to see before we bring this to a close. 
2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 17. Would you turn there? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 17. Second Corinthians 5, verse 17. Once you're there, give a hearty amen. amen. All right, we got about 50% waiting, loading, loading. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Let's read it all together. There you go. Amen. Let's read it all together. Verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's what happened in Ephesus. That is what happened in Ephesus. That's what God wants in our lives. That is what God's work is, uh, is doing in our lives. Verse 18, listen as I read. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ. Not through works, but by Jesus Christ. And notice, read that last phrase with us. And has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing, not accounting their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us, what is it? The word of reconciliation. Who's us? The blood-washed throng. Those that have placed faith in Jesus Christ. Who's us? That's Grace Baptist Church. That's you here, sitting here today. He's committed unto you the word of reconciliation. And the question is, will you, like Paul, remain committed to the ministry of the word? If you want to see culture change, what are you going to do about it? If the truth sets a person free, what are you going to do with the truth? It only sets them free if they've heard it, if they understand it, if they've received it. Are you going to participate this week in the ministry of the word? Well, it's just adventure camp. It's you know, a fun time for kids. No, it is cleverly disguised, not really, ministry of the word. It's it's it's. How about, let's put it this way. It's, it's uh, beautifully packaged ministry of the word is what it is. Well, how can I be involved? Some people can gather with Brother Tom and bend their knees. Say, I'm going to be on prayer band. And so in my living room this week and, in, and as I go to work and in my car, I'm going to be praying with this band of believers that are supporting this thing in prayer. Some are going to say, I'm going to just come and sit next to any guest adult. Make them feel welcome. I'm going to welcome every, I'm going to be a part of the ministry of the word. I'm going to say amen where I need to. I'm going to encourage those. I'm, I'm going to pray for those that are working with the kids and, and so on. We have tracks ready in your pocket. Why well, just don't do that? How committed are you? Does God's grace go with you when you're passing out tracks? Can he help you out there? Well, I reach out to a prospect, someone that I know wants is interested about the things of God? Well, I reached out to them this week or next and, and say, hey, can we get something on the calendar? I'd love to meet, um, meet for coffee with you. Or why don't you come over to our house? We'll grill some hamburgers. And help them get a little bit closer to Jesus Christ. There are some here that I believe with all my heart need to say and make public, I am giving my whole life to the ministry of the word. And I believe God is touching my heart to be involved in missions, to be a pastor, to be an evangelist, to be an evangelist's wife, to be a single lady missionary. I don't, I don't know what it is, but there's some that need to say, I'm going to be committed to the word in that way, in, in the ministry of the word. And it might be an older person that needs to say that. I don't know who it is, but the fact is, I believe God 
wants us to be like Paul and, 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 and this passage of Scripture and, and be committed to the ministry of the Word of Christ and His gospel. And we can't bellyache about America if we're not willing to make a decision about this right here. We can't bellyache about what's going on in the school system here in Kettering if we're not willing to make a decision about this right here. This is where it starts. This is not an oversimplification. We just saw it happen in a pagan city of Ephesus. And I'd sure like to see it happen in the pagan city of Kettering. And let's ask God for that. So right now we're going to find our knees in this auditorium and we're going to seek the Lord and ask him to help us with that. Would you do that? Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.